Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Bereson. I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins. And we're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Today, we're going to be talking about something a little different, an app created by the nonprofit Give Us the Floor. And that's a, a group that's meant to help teens struggling with mental health through peer support. And to help do that, we have two special guests, Valerie Grisson Alsop and Julia Esposito. Valerie is the founder and CEO of Give Us the Floor, which aims to provide teens with peer support they need to enter adulthood. Julia works as a junior adult advisor, but started off as a teen participant looking for support. We're very excited to have them here and chat about their app and how they help teens in need. Welcome, Valerie and Julia. Thank you very much for having us. Now, before we check in, uh, before we start the conversation, we typically start with a check-in uh, about uh, our own mental health. Uh, Khadija, how's your week been? I'm a little bit bummed that Boston is holding spring hostage, but otherwise, it was a good week. I just loved how my kids pulled together one who is still in college on his way home and the one who's here to make me breakfast and coordinate together and buy the ingredients. So that was very touching to see them transition from, you know, little kids to like kids that can actually do things without my help. It was it was touching and a little bit, you know, bittersweet, but it was mostly mostly sweet. <laughs> how, how was your weekend or your week? Me? Um, how about Julia? Oh, okay. <laughs> Hi. My week was pretty good. I just finished my finals, so I'm pretty much just relaxing and taking advantage of my free time. How are you, Valerie? Oh, I've been pretty good. My mother came visit from Paris and she's 85 years old. So it's a real pleasure after the pandemic and all this time being separated to be able to, uh, to have her here for a few weeks. So yeah. I'm thankful and happy. Wow, that's nice. Jane, what was your week like? Um, yesterday, Mother's Day, we had uh, three of my kids, three of my daughters, with their kids here for a brunch, and um, ran around outside, and it was it was it was just nice. It was beautiful outside, and a little chilly, but so what. And, um, uh, and, and had a beautiful brunch and, uh, how many grandchildren were here? One, two, three, four, five, five grandchildren. So good mother's day. Is that all of them or you have others? I have others. I have, uh, my daughter's twin brother has a, uh, a five and a three year old in Philadelphia. So, um, uh, let's talk about the app. Um, I, I believe it goes by the same name. Uh, give us the floor. Uh, is that right? All right. Uh, where, where did where did that where did that name come from? It comes of um, the idea that I think we don't respect enough the young people and teenagers' uh, way of thinking. And we should be more open and listen more to what they have to say. And so the, the name came really from that, that we kind of, as adult 
key need to give them the floor and that they need to take it. So it's like, given that we really did this um, old program that is by teens for teens, so give us the floor because it's the voice of the young people. And and how does the app work? I mean, you know, I saw on the website that there are different chat rooms. So um, uh, can a person choose which room to enter? Is it online 24 seven? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how the app works? Of course. So they are a group of 12 to 15 teenagers. Um, they don't choose where they go. So they are a group. In each group, there is one or two trained facilitators that Julia is going to explain you a bit more later what the role is. Um, but what, So when they sign up, they can choose between three main focuses which are LGBTQIA+, mental health, and life challenges. Um, and then after they're, depending on their age, it's like there's no more than two years between the younger and the older in a group. So they can relate and have, be at the same like stage of development in their adolescence. And the last thing is that there are subcategories like gaming, academic pressure, pets, arts, music. And so we really try to match them with an algorithm and we try to match them so they can relate the most possible. So they do not choose their group. We place them in a group, but they have um, the opportunity to change group if they think it's not the best fit for them. They just need to ask us. And then we uh, move them in another group. So, so this is a greatly needed resource, and we know how important connection is. And it's a really huge ask. I'm curious to hear about what training is given to the facilitators. Sure. So there's a training. There's an uh, first. We start by an online training. There are nine video modules. It's about a little over three hours of video to watch where they have an extensive um, uh, training or, or how to bring people in, how to recognize difficult situation and, um, and also how when it's time to escalate to an adult advisor, to the adult team. And our motto is in doubt, reach out to an adult uh, team member because we really don't want them to um, to feel guilty of anything that they think they they didn't do properly. So that's um, the big thing. So extensive training uh, about like communication, um, communication skill, um, you know, emotional wellness and things. So in after each video um, model, they have a mini quiz. Um, and at the end of the nine modules, they have a big quiz that they need to pass with 100%. They can take it as many times as they want, but they have to have 100% to the, to the final quiz. Once they've done that, they're invited to a mock chat with other facilitator trainees and the adult advisor. So I want to say that all the adult advisor have... Um, an extensive experience in youth mental health, um, clinical youth mental health. 
And so during this two weeks much chat, they're going to work with the adult advisor at like on what difficult situation they can encounter as a facilitator. And the adult advisor is really going to help them react the way they should and, um, and, and watch them to see if they seem mature enough to become a facilitator. Once they've done these two weeks, they have a one-on-one video checking, video meeting checking with um, an adult advisor. And that's the final determinant to say if they are um, trained enough, mature enough, engaged enough um, to become a facilitator. Okay, and that that's awesome. It sounds like there's a lot of checkpoints to be able to assess where they are. And it sounds like if they do feel like they get out of their depth or you know, run into a situation that's outside of what they feel comfortable handling, they can reach out to one of the adult um, facilitators. And and so going back to kids are so stressed these days. And so I imagine they're probably encountering a lot of uh, emotional concerns that kids are bringing or conflicts that they might be bringing. How do, how do you guys protect and support the facilitators emotionally as they're, you know, carrying a lot of the the weight that is put onto them from the people that they're trying to support. Um, so that's a part of the training, the, the self-awareness and, and self-care. That's a whole module that talk only about that. And the idea again is that if they, if they feel uh, uncomfortable, if they think to stress, uh, they need to reach out to uh, an adult advisor and it happens pretty often that people um, take a break, you know, and then we check in after it. They want to go back as a facilitator, um, and and they talk as much as they want when they need to uh, adult advisor. But I I would love to hear Julia about that because I'm curious to know because some of the programs and some of the treatment that we provide part of the treatment or part of the programming is embedded within. Uh, within it is like more like a process group or a place for you to kind of in a standing way meet with other people who are doing similar work to kind of process your experience, talk about, you know, various things that you come across that you can share information and share learning. Is is that part of, is there a standing or kind of pseudo or semi-required support like that in place for the facilitators? I was going to add, uh, yes, I believe we have facilitator group chats. Uh, and as a junior adult advisor, I'm in one of those monitoring that conversation. And that chat is mainly for facilitators to come in. And if they're struggling with how to handle a situation or if they just want to talk to somebody, um, we have a lot of facilitators present to also discuss these issues and bond together over this shared experience. And, and, and Julia, uh, is there ever a time when uh, you run into a, a problem that, that maybe your, even your adult facilitators need some professional guidance, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or somebody, you know, who, who, because uh, you're stuck. Does that happen? Well, I, I want to, sorry, I want to jump in because I want to say that um, the adult advisor or psychotherapist or family therapist, so they have a training 
really that allows them to uh, see when people are really in crisis or not. So that's really our, our, our ultimate safety net, I would say. That's great. So, uh, um, uh, you know, for uh, the young people in your organization providing the support, uh, both the peers and the, um, the advisors, um, is there an agreement about some of the ground rules of the program? I mean, do people have kind of a, uh, either a spoken or an unspoken contract about what the rules of the road are? <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's, um, well, there, first for the facilitators, we need to sign an agreement. Uh, their guardians need to sign the agreement too. And it's really, there's a very clear definition of what the role of a facilitator is. And we need that because we we well, we need them to know what they're going for, right? And they need also to be accountable. It's like facilitator is not just a role where you come in one day and not the other day. You need to be really engaged because the group uh, counts on you to be there. Um, so yeah, definitely, there's a it's it's a commitment. I'll add to that, and it definitely is a big responsibility for me and something I'm very proud of. Uh, as a high schooler, when I became a facilitator, I just felt so much more fulfilled in that I was able to help these teens and watch over these group chats and make sure they're feeling okay and that they have this platform and this space to be able to talk to each other about issues that perhaps adults might not really understand. A large majority of your users identify as LGBTQIA. Was this by design or did this happen organically? It happens organically. We, the, the beginning of a program which was launched in April 2018, uh, the, the goal, the mission was really to help all teens struggling in distress. So they have a, a positive and safe place where they can feel that they belong to uh, because we know how important it is in, in uh, mental health and, uh, and resiliency to, to have a place where you, that you can go where you belong to. And so we started with over 50% in 2018. And then in 2021, we are over 86%. So it became clear for us that we needed to focus on LGBTQ youth. Uh, and that's what we're doing that now. But though we knew that LGBTQ youth were struggling more, um, it was um, sad, actually, to see that number grow up that much. Are there other groups besides um, the LGBTQIA uh, kids that you think are especially in need of support? Um, it's definitely people of color, and we're happy to be able to uh, have a lot of LGBTQ people of color. Um, and we also, um, there's also always the people that live in remote places. So the great thing about the app is that it's available to everybody. You don't need to live in the city. You don't need, you know, you just need a phone and you need uh, 
connection, but you don't even need a high-speed connection because it's just a chat. Um, so I've definitely with everything that had happened lately, um, people that are remote um, needs, needs a lot of help. But for us, we're really focusing on the LGBTQ youth and uh, with a great diversity. So we're happy about that. You know, one of the uh, things, one of the things that that I wonder about it. This is national. Yes. So you cro- so so. What's interesting is, um, we're not allowed to treat people or take care of people across state lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 it really puts a limit. Like for example, if if I have a patient that goes to college or, you know, uh, out of state. You know, uh, I, I can't do that. So, but you're allowed, you, you actually have people all over the country. Well, we're not a clinical program. I want to insist on that, is that it's really PS support. We're not a clinical program. We're not a crisis tech line. It's, it's bringing a sense of belonging and being able to share your difficulty with peers that have faced or are facing the same difficulties. So yeah, for and and I would add that's one, you know, we send survey very often to the participant. And one of the things that they love is that they get to talk with people, with peers that live in other parts of the country and have a completely different approach, culture, uh, different life. And they love that. A big part too of the training we did was an emphasis that this is not therapy. And a lot of the the teens also have therapists outside of the group chat, uh, which is very helpful. Although even with that, I found a lot of the time the teens can help each other a lot in moments of need. Uh, especially for things like panic attacks. I've seen some of the teens helping each other and being like, hey, can you help me deal with this in the moment? Um, And I found that to be really useful in helping them get out of that situation. There's a real role for for peer support. And I think um, this is great to hear about your app. And sometimes kids who identify as LGBTQIA+, face a lot of rejection or criticism by their peers and people at school. What makes your app a place where they don't experience that and they do feel comfortable to show up in the numbers that you kind of describe? Do you want to answer that one, Julia? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm actually in the LGBT community and I realized that when I was around in high school and a big part of what caused me to feel more comfortable being out and being proud of that was being around other peers my age who were also out and comfortable. So one of the first people who I actually told about um, me being in the community was one of my very close friends who was also in the community. Uh, So I think the big benefit of having something like give us the floor are teens see other people who are also out and can be proud of it and can overcome this rejection in some sense and can also feel like I can do this too. I have that support. Um, Support is incredible and it's so important. Um, 
what 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 else is it about peer support besides being accepted uh, that makes it so successful? Well, what what are the elements? What other elements besides besides support would you say make it valuable for 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 peers for teams? So there have been a, a lot of studies actually about uh, peer support in youth and in adults. I'm sure you know about it. But so the first, well, not the not in order, but let's say in what I'm going to say, the first one is definitely the sense of belonging because it's it's critical. Uh, for maintaining physical and emotional health, as well as, as resiliency. Then there's something that is called also the sharing effect. It's when you're able to share um, something you're experiencing with somebody who experiences it too, it makes you feel way better than if you were alone uh, by yourself. And a big thing is also helping others. It's, it's not just being helped, it's helping others. It brings a, a sense of purpose and it helps building relationships and promotes well-being. Because one of the things that is going on that is important in those groups too is that we have a lot of young people who have social anxiety and they don't really know how to interact with other people. And the group is kind of a safe place to rehearse this social interaction. And they can, after, feel better doing, like reproducing that in the real world. And, um, and yeah, it's been proven that it brings social integration and, and increased self-confidence. And I will say also, and Julia said that at some point, is that one of the things that we hear very often from our participants is that um, they say that the, their peers can relate to them and they really feel that. And they feel that adults have a tendency of being dismissive. They say, oh yeah, you may be, you may be struggling right now, but you see in a couple of years, it'll be over. You know, it's like, don't worry. And that doesn't work when you're in the middle of suffering. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you talk about about um, that um, uh, connectedness uh, because uh, there have been a couple studies. We've talked about this before, uh, and on the LG and on our website, that loneliness is huge. I mean, this the 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 Gen Zs and the Millennials are the loneliest generations ever, <laughs> and so combating loneliness as an ability to, to provide, you know, that comes out of the peer support uh, sounds to be extremely important. I can definitely agree with that. I think adding on to what Valerie said uh, is I think beyond just having that support system, in a way, these groups act as a community. And I feel like that's a really great way to combat loneliness in these teens. So just circling back to safety, the app, the, the app and the chat rooms are anonymous. How do you manage or, or deal with a crisis if it comes up? Um, for instance, you know, when I'm talking to someone, I make sure I'd get their phone number and, and get their address to be, to be able to reach them if I needed to. Um, at the start of a conversation, if I'm managing a crisis call, how do you guys manage it? 
with the with being so, a, and maintaining a, a not uh, being anonymous. <laughs> Sorry. So um, the the group chats they're always in the same group chats, right? It's a community of twelve to fifteen teens. They're anonymous between them, but we have their phone number and their name. And uh, there's a feature in the app where you just hold and press on a message and it's you can send a report to the adult advisor. There are two levels of report. There are crisis where somebody is in danger and inappropriate behavior. So the one crisis escalate, escalate very quickly to an adult advisor. But again, I want to insist we're not a 24 seven uh, crisis hotline. Um, so uh, the facilitator and every every person in the group can report. That's a very important safety uh, measure. It's like not everything is on the shoulders of the facilitator. Everybody in the group is supposed to uh, watch for the other one that everybody is safe. Um, and they have also on the on the app, there's a, what we call a tip hub, where there's a lot, we have listed a lot of um, trusted resources when they are in crisis, and, and also a few um, mini blogs to help them deal with things that are not a crisis, but... Uh, and so they, they're really trained of that too. And they know that's something we always say, that's a big part of the training before joining a group. If you're not a facilitator, you, it's mandatory that you watch a three minute video that explains that also. And that um, say, if there is any uh, people in danger, the best thing, you give them crisis text line, you give them the Trevor project, but also you call 911. And uh, luckily, it doesn't happen often, uh, but it happens. Most of the time, I would say the team is on from like, because we have people in the East Coast and people in the West Coast. So it's like we have a team from like 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. monitoring. So it's, it's very rare, but it could happen. It's like, yeah, we're not a 24-7. And we don't, and in this case, we give them resource. Again, we're not there. To see, but we but but we check in like the day after, and we have been doing definitely calling nine one one sometime or doing report to the uh, child protection services. Uh, if we need to step in, we do step in. We don't hesitate. So let me switch gears a little bit because I've 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 facilitated groups both clinically and also um, in the community. Uh, and in all my experience with groups, there are some groups that have, they have a character, they have dynamics, they have, sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes there are conflicts in groups. Sometimes there are uh, group dynamics that just make things very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we, people in the groups who are either tired or controlling or quiet or the, the mix has its own personality. What do you do when a group has a problematic mix to it? Um, how do you deal with, with groups that are uh, uh, conflicted? 
Could, well, so Julia, you want to answer that because she's especially <laughs> trained for that. Because <laughs> not because not all groups, as you know, I'm sure you I'm sure you run up against you know with this. Not all groups are like La La Land. They're not all like wonderful, supportive, happy, go lucky, you know, groups. You know, they they've got their problems. So, what do you do when you have some difficult group dynamics, and and how do you intervene with that? I've been very fortunate in that all of my groups so far have been very <laughs> cohesive with people just there to support each other. And I think that is a tendency just because most of these teens are around the same age and struggling with the same things. So it's a little bit difficult to run into too much conflict. If there is, obviously I will step in and, you know, check in with people, see how things are going. And if needed, I can always, as Valerie mentioned, report the situation to one of the adults and have them sort of sort things out. Um, but also, as Valerie mentioned, we can always move people around between groups. So Yeah, so I was going to say, so when it, it, it has happened, it happens regularly, <laughs> I have to say, where you have indeed people that are all too controlling, people that are like more bully or take yeah. all, they want the attention only on them. So then the, definitely the adult advisors um, intervene and uh, they try to kind of call everybody in and mitigate the situation. And if it, if after, if it happens again, after I would say two or three times, then we start moving people from different groups. Or if some people are really, there's some people that are just, uh, bad, you know, for the group. They just bring negative thoughts all the time, all the time. And so it's, it's always a difficult situation to deal with because you don't want to isolate them even more than they are. But sometimes they're just not a good fit for a community. And we have to ask them, we have to ask them to, to leave, give us the floor uh, because it's, it's just too hard on the others. We have to be really careful that um, that the, the, the people that we have in our group, the young people, they're kind of a bit fragile and we don't want to trigger special things. So it doesn't happen. I mean, you know, last year we helped over 3,500 uh, people in the group. And I think we had to ask two of them to leave, give us the floor. So luckily, it doesn't happen often. And sometimes just changing group is enough because they just went, put themselves in kind of a dynamic and breaking the group makes that the dynamics, yeah, stops. I was in the office today and I was talking to the admin, which is one of the things that I definitely miss about being in the office is the side chats. And we were just talking about um, her family and how there's maybe a 10, 12 year age gap between her and her sibling. And she was describing how the parent that her younger sibling has is different from the one that she has. And, you know, talking about me and how I'm a very different parent from the one from my older son to my younger son. And a lot of what came up is what you kind of describe as how you came about with this name of giving us the floor and just not feeling like, you know, as a younger person being able to have an opportunity to speak, to have an opinion and to stand up for yourself. 
within reason. Um, and so I guess as we are hearing about your program, what are things that you could suggest to listeners now as to how they could create a safe space for their teens to be able to talk openly um, with them at home about various things going on in their lives? Well, I think it's definitely um, giving the message that whatever your teens are doing, you will keep loving them and supporting them and that you're here for them whenever they need. And they're trying to make them understand that you won't judge them. It's, it's a thing that is very hard for the young people to feel that if they share something, um, and that's why our program is so successful. A lot of people say, I don't dare sharing that with my parents because I will disappoint them. And so I think it's really the idea that whatever you do, I will keep loving you. I will keep supporting you and you will not disappoint me. I would also add to that something that I think was brought up a little bit earlier is just not dismissing their problems. That's something I'm actually extremely grateful for my mom, who's always been really great at just validating anything I've been struggling with. And that can be extraordinarily helpful just to say, you're struggling with that. And I believe you, that is a valid thing to worry about. So, so at, at times, at times you would allow or welcome the teens in the groups to actually have conversations with their parents about, oh, yeah. about what they're talking about, but, but preserving anonymity. I mean, anonymity is really important, correct? Is that? Oh, so, I, so anonymity is, is a big thing within the group. And the, the idea is that what is said in the group, stay in the group. Bit like Las Vegas, right? Uh, but, but, um, but like, Las, we, like, like Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we always, I mean, we think that guardians are parents are a big, big component and of uh, emotional well being, definitely. Unfortunately, a lot of, uh, of uh, participants don't have this. Uh, option. They have parents that they cannot talk to um, and that they cannot, they even have some abusive parents. Uh, so, but if they can, I'm a big believer that to be, to grow in a healthy um, way, you need both. You need the adults in your life and you need your peers. It's not one or the other. Ideally, it's both. So what uh, if they have parents that aren't supportive, they might find other mentors or teachers mm -hmm. or 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 in in their community or spiritual leaders that they could actually uh, float ideas by based on their experience in the group. Absolutely. So, so those are really great takeaways. And if I were a teen in the group, or maybe if I were adult who knew about your program, how would one go about making a referral or sharing the information how does that work you're talking about give us the floor yes yeah well they can just yeah go on the website give us the floor.org and from there you go you download the app and um, and you can try it you know we always say you can try sometimes it's not for 
it's not it's not a good fit for you. And what we tend to see is either um, people quit within the two two weeks of the same month because the average lifetime of a participant is uh, over seven months. So they, in average, they stay over seven months and active because we don't allow um, people not to be active in the group because we don't want them to be there to lurk. And we also have a limited amount of space and spots. So we want it to benefit really to the people who, who need it. So um, we have to wrap up in a minute, but is there anything that, that we have not talked about that you feel that you would like to communicate to the listeners out there? Yeah, I certainly <laughs> would like to um, share something that we are super proud of. And it's that so we, we that after only one month in the program, 85% of the participants said that they feel less lonely. Um, 83% of them said that they've been helped with their struggle. And that number, number shot up to 89% after three months. And after one month, 79% say that they feel better about themselves. So it's a, I mean, big, big thank you to the whole community and the, the, the facilitator, teenager who really took on that role to help their peers. But again, everybody helps everybody. It's not just a facilitator. It's really a, a, a very a supportive and inclusive community. I know for me to add on, Give Us the Floor personally has been a huge part of my teenage experience and past then. I've been in uh, Give Us the Floor for a very long time now, I think almost six or seven years, and I haven't left. Uh, I was here for a while, and I think it's very, very useful for teens, and more people should definitely know about it. Sounds great. So this has really been a helpful conversation, uh, and to um, I, I hope that that our listeners will go take a look at the website and encourage your kids, teens, to um, consider it. Uh, peer support has been there's so much research on this, but you know it sounds to me that one of the big things that we've worried about is loneliness, and that and and this could be something really important for uh, for folks to kind of who have lonely teenagers to uh, consider. Uh, so we hope this has been helpful. And to, 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 to wrap wrap up on a positive note, Khadija, what's something you're looking forward <laughs> to this week? Spring. I'm looking forward to the, <laughs> the, the seven, 70, almost 80 degree weather oh, near the man. end of the week. <laughs> and my son making it home. Well, I put, I put, I'm having construction on this old house, 1846. And this morning, I I had to put an air conditioner in this window because my air conditioner that was built in was like ripped out. And uh, I I can't take the heat. Well, you're looking forward to it. I'm looking. Please, Boston, release the spring. It's time. (laughs) (laughs) How how about you guys? What do you anything you're looking forward to this week, Valerie? Um, I kind of look forward to the nice weather too. I'm in San Francisco and it's been like foggy, windy, cold. And we know while we're going through the 
towards the summer, it's going to be worse, but a little bit of nice weather before would be would be definitely great. And I just <laughs> look forward to um, walking around with my mother. Julia, what um, about you? I'm actually looking forward to graduating with my bachelor's this week. Yay, so congratulations. Very congratulations. Wow. Other than replacing your uh, AC unit, anything else, Jane, that you're looking forward to this week? I'll tell you what I'm not <laughs> looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to finishing my book that I have to do <gasps> by the end of the month. But I am looking forward to uh, spending more time in the garden. Despite the cold weather, in most places, things are coming up. And it's always a surprise. It's always a surprise of what comes up where and what, what, what you lose. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. We need to have a book writing party. Like you need to, we need to like get this book finished. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I would not recommend writing a book. Um, uh, but thanks everybody. Uh, and, and as always, uh, we hope that our conversation helps you to have yours. I'm Jean Bereson. I'm Khadija Booth Watkins. Until next time. Thank you very much, guys. Will, Sarah, and I will mute ourselves, and you guys have the floor. Oh, my gosh. That was so great. (laughs) <laughs> okay.